is in shambles. We've got to learn how to lift up the name of Jesus when we're walking through hell and high water. We've got to learn to lift up the name of Jesus. One of my most famous, most loved, most important verses of Scripture, my cousin shared it on Facebook, is Isaiah 43, 1 and 2. It says, when you enter the waters, I will be with you and the floods will not overcome you. When you enter the fire, you will not be burned and neither shall the flame kindle upon you. In other words, when you go through those hard times, when you go through those hellacious places, when you go through those attacks of the enemy, those attacks of man, those attacks of, of viruses, it can't take from you what God has given you. It might change the atmosphere around you. It might change your everyday life, but it does not change who God is and what He said He can do. But we've got to have trust and we've got to have faith and we've got to believe. Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to go with me to the book of Judges, chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 7 through 13. Judges, chapter 2. I'm also, it's not going to be on the screen later, but I'm also going to pull a little bit out of the book of Exodus, chapter 1, verse 8 through 22. We're not going to read that, but I just want to go ahead, if you're taking notes, and you want to go back later and read that, it'll be the book of Exodus, chapter 1 verses 8 through 22 but in the book of Judges chapter 2 starting in verse number 7 and the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel before I go any further can I ask you a question how many remembers Joshua in the Bible, not, not the pastor up here, but Joshua of the Bible. Joshua was the predecessor of Moses. Joshua was the one who led the people of Israel across the Jordan River. Joshua was the one that went as a spy with Caleb and ten other men and they spied out the land. And Joshua and Caleb being the only two that would give a good report saying we can take the land. Joshua was one of the men that went through the Jordan River and they pulled out the stones for a memorial of the day when Jesus or when God led the Israelites out of a wilderness of wandering. And I feel like there's a lot of times in the church we wonder what God's going to do. We wonder if God can still do it. We wonder what's the next step. We wonder, and we find ourselves just wondering all the time instead of believing what God said He can do. And we wonder aimlessly, not knowing where we're headed. But Joshua was one of the men that went through the Jordan River and they pulled stones from the river and they put them there for a memorial. And the instructions God gave them was you are to tell your sons and your daughters, you are to tell your grandchildren what happened in Egypt. You are to tell your grandchildren how I opened the Red Sea. You are to tell your children and your grandchildren how I fed you manna in the wilderness. You are to tell your grandchildren how I brought forth water from a rock. You are to tell your grandchildren how I told you to build the serpent in the wilderness and everyone that had been bitten by the venomous serpent could look upon the statue and they would be healed you are to tell your people how I led you into the promised land you are to tell your people how when they look at the ruins of Jericho you are to tell your people God did that when you were reminded of 
the overcoming of the Amalekites and those kings. Tell your children it was God that did it. Joshua. If you didn't remember him, I hope you remember him now. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Tamathiris, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of him, Gash. And also, all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. In other words, that generation died. And there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Most gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for your word. God, I pray for the strength, I pray for the wisdom, and I pray for the anointing of your Holy Spirit to deliver this word that you have placed in my spirit, God. Father, I pray that you bring back to remembrance everything that has been placed into my bosom, Lord God, that you let me decrease this morning, that you might increase. I pray, God, that you would anoint the ears of every man, woman, boy, and girl under the sound of my voice. Anoint their ears to hear. Anoint their minds to understand, comprehend, and gain the wisdom of your word. And give them knowledge of the heart, Lord God, that they may walk in your ways. God, I pray right now, Father, for the rest of this service to, to be handed over to you, God, to go according to your plans and your will. And God, give us wisdom to follow that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated all over the house this morning. I want to talk to you this morning on the subject. Put it up there for me, Brother Walter. A new generation has come. A new generation has come. How many understand that throughout the history and throughout the decades and throughout the church history, there has been, what's the word I'm looking for? Milestones for the church. Some good and some not so good. But with every generation brings a new famine. With every generation brings a new struggle. With every generation brings a new culture. With every generation brings another obstacle. And I'm here to tell you this morning, if you'll let me explain on that this morning, the title of my sermon is not just a new generation has come. But the full title of my sermon to you church, to us as American men and women, to us as believers, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, to us that are living as pilgrims in a foreign land, to us that are seeking out the city which was not made with hands but was built by God, the, the city that is to come to us for eternity, amen, that new Jerusalem, that new heaven and that new earth. A new generation has come. And the last part of this title is pray. A new generation has come pray. If we've never, never been a church 
that pray without ceasing. We need to become a church that prays without ceasing in this final hour. If you've never been a believer that thought that it was important to walk 24 hours a day, seven days a week in the Spirit of God, today is the day that you understand this is the hour that we need to pray more than ever. God says when you see these signs, the time has not yet come. He said, but you'll know by the seasons that it's getting close. You'll know by the signs that are around us. The Bible says that there will be earthquakes in diverse places. We've just had an earthquake, a record-setting earthquake in Haiti that killed many, many, many people not long after a hurricane destroyed them and killed many people in doing so. We've got fires all over the world today. We've got wars and rumors of wars. We we tried to pull out of a 20-year war in which men and women sacrificed their lives to take out a Muslim extremist group from running the the political powers of that country and in two months after pulling out overnight everything that was done in 20 years was re, was given right back to the power of the Taliban We've got the wars and rumors of wars where this peace treaty says that we're going to have peace and we're going to let you come get your people out of our country. But in the meantime, we're going to put two suicide bombers out there to kill your people. We're living in an hour and in a day where good is called evil and evil is called good. Where up is called down and down is called up. Where black is called white and white is called black. We're living in a day and an hour where men's flesh has caused their hearts to wax cold and the love of many has waxed cold. We're living in a day and in an hour where we are seeking the the uh, aff affirmation of man and we stop seeking the approval of God. We're living in a day where the church has dedicated itself more to being a political power and be be becoming a cultural revelance than it is to seeking out the holiness of God which sets the captive free, which breaks the chains of the bondage, which brings addicts out of addiction, which brings sick folks out of hospital beds and which brings broken marriages and creates godly marriages, brings children that feel fatherless and gives them a father that they can trust, which brings daughters that have been stolen that have been beaten that have been sold into slavery and gives them the liberty of life given to them only by Jesus Christ alone we are living in a new generation that has come and church we must pray just because I don't care what generation you live in your age does not determine whether we live or whether we die whether you was born in the 50s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, or even in the last couple of years, it does not mean that you are part of the problem. What happens is we've got to understand the movements of our world, and we've got to quit looking for a movement in the church. That's, that's something that has irked me for so many years, is so many church-going people are always hungry for a movement. But God said, go where I tell you to go. Do what I tell you. We're asking God to move, and He's given us instruction to go. Go unto all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. We're always looking for a new movement or a new fad or what's going to be the, the attractive thing that's going to bring people in with excitement. And I'm okay with bringing people into the church with excitement, but the question is, what are they excited about? Are they excited about the softball tournaments coming up? Are they excited about the barbecue next weekend? Are they excited about having a place that they can come and get a free meal on the first Sunday of every month? Or are, is there excitement about a place where Jesus meets them at the well? Is there excitement about a place where you come to know Jesus in His living state of mind? A new generation has come. Pray. We look in the book of Judges chapter 2. Starting in verse 7, it tells us that there is this man named Joshua who led these people out of 
bondage, out of losing their minds and out of going crazy in the wilderness. And he takes them into the promised land. But then it tells us in the very next verse that that Joshua died. And the men behind Joshua continued living off of the blessings of the former generation. There's three kinds of generations that come before you get to the one we're talking about. The first generation are those that experience the move of God. The first generation are the men and the women that sacrifice their jobs, that sacrifice their hobbies, that sacrifice their entire life weeping on an altar, calling prayer meetings, not giving in. They, they wasn't worried about, man, my family needs a vacation. They wasn't worried about, man, I, I really wouldn't mind going on a bird shoot this weekend. They wasn't worried about, man, I'm ready to go watch a ball game. Their concern was seeking out the face of God, crying out in a place of bondage, saying, Lord, hear our cry. We need a Moses right now. We need a, a Messiah right now. We need someone to come into this church, Lord God. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. There's the generation that saw God. There's the generation that heard God. And then there's a generation that felt God and moved in God. Then the second generation is the generation who lived in houses they did not build. Who worshipped the songs that they did not write. Who rejoiced the sermons that they did not receive. There's the generation of people that possessed the promised land. But they wasn't there when, Jesus, when God opened the sea. There's the people that ate the fruit of the vine because the former generation fought for it. And they eat the fruit of the vine and enjoy the relaxation of victory. But they did not fight to gain that victory. And then there's the, former, the final gener uh, generation of people. The generation who knew not the Lord. The generation that sought after the pleasing of the flesh rather than the pleasing of of the Lord. The Bible says here in Judges chapter 2 that there arose a generation that knew not the Lord. And they began to do evil in the sight of the Lord. These were God's people. These was God's chosen generation. God had already moved in their families. God had already moved in their history. And see, what I'm afraid of, and I've even been guilty of this at times because I can, I can be the first to tell you, there ain't a single generation out there that hasn't messed up. There's not a single generation out there that doesn't, that doesn't have faults daily. But I can tell you, having been a young man and growing up, I got to the point where I was so frustrated with the bickering and the arguing in the church about the old song versus the new song, the old carpet versus the new carpet, that I began to get bitter and I began to get hard-hearted to hearing out for the Lord. And I be even began be becoming part of the problem. And I began arguing because, you know, I've heard people say many, many times, I wish we could get back to the good old glory days. And I'm thinking, well, what changed when God, God was the same God in 1980 as He is in 2021? The problem is God didn't change, the church did. And I've been a part of that problem. I've been a part of that argument. And there's okay. There's some things that can change along the way that's okay. We can change the color of the walls and God still be able to move. We can change from pews to chairs and God still be able to move. We can change um, the, the tune of the music and God still be able to move. 
We can change what, we, what, what, what the preacher once looked like to what the preacher looks like today as long as it is modest and as long as it is covering and God still be able to move. We can change um, from choirs to praise teams and God still be able to move. We can change to having um, every light in the sanctuary on to having the lights of the stage and moment of worship and God still be able to move. But there's one thing we cannot change and that is the Word of the living God. Amen. We cannot change the spirit of holiness. We cannot change, amen, what reverencing of the house of God means. We cannot change, amen, what it means to grow up in the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot change teaching people the gospel of Jesus Christ because it does not matter how full your pews get because guess what there's 103,000 people plus sitting in football stadiums during football season there's thousands of people sitting in basketball games there's thousands of people going to motorcycle conventions there's thousands of people in the work industry every single day but just because they have a crowd doesn't mean they're living holy just because the church building has a crowd doesn't mean they're living holy just because the preacher wears a suit and carries the Bible does not mean he's preaching the truth what cannot change is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and in this day and in this hour church you are going to have to offend many to gain the few that are looking for change you are going to have to offend the multitude in order to gain the 12 disciples you are going to have to offend the Pharisees and the Sadducees you are going to be rejected from radio stations you are going to be rejected from Facebook posts you are going to be rejected from social media if you are preaching the truth Truth, the unadulterated word of God. Amen. God is not looking for a prostituted church. He is not looking for a whorish church. He is not looking for a church that is filthy with the men's li- with the lips of men of this world. He's looking for a bride that is without spot and without blemish. He's looking for a church that remembers Egypt. He's looking for a church that remembers the cross of Calvary. We're living in a day where people cringe to talk about the cross because of how gory it is. We're living in an hour where people would rather stand on a platform that is worldwide and talk about why we as a church need to accept same-sex marriages. We're living in an hour where when I was a little boy, the teacher would blush when they were talking about how babies were made. But now we're living in a day where the teachers call the kids brah and homie and dog and cuss in class and they're standing up there talking about sodomy being a normal part of life and the nasty nasty perverted things that come. Yes, you're looking at a preacher that just don't give much of a care today, amen, about what the world thinks, amen. I'm not excited about a perverted nation. I'm not excited about a perverted world. And these men, amen, these men that did evil in the sight of the Lord, they went on to worship gods that if you'll go in and do the study of these gods they would sacrifice their children they would put their children in the fire God even gave specific instruction do not sacrifice your children do not fall for the gods that require the lives of your children do not fall for the culture that says throw your children in the fire and pass through amen but a little bit later we see that even our own church even our own Israelites begin sacrificing their children sacrificing their children for the pleasure of culture sacrifice Sacrificing their children for the pleasure of likes on Facebook. Uh, Sacrificing children so that we can get a political stance that gives us a platform nationwide. Because if we'll do this, our church will grow. 
The only reason I'm going to do this is because I want people to come to church and when they get here with him, we'll tell them the truth. You can't lure a man in with lies and then expect him to, to swallow the truth. You can't lure someone into the Word of God with a lie, with a false doctrine, and then expect them to happily accept what you feed them in truth because it's going to be contrary to what got them there. These children of these gods being slain without having a say-so their parents, the generation that didn't know better, said, we want to join up with you guys, and if it costs me my children, so be it. We're living in a day that in the 1800s, one of the biggest genocides in America's history, and a lot of people don't know this because they're not going to tell you this at the local abortion clinic, but one of the biggest genocides happened in the, in the 1800s were more recorded abortions happen in such a short period of time than all of the history of the abortions. Then, we, then now we're living in the year 2021 where approximately 1.5 million unborn babies are sacrificed and they're going into our vaccination shots. Our children are being, are being slaughtered in the wombs and then their DNAs and then their, their molecules are being used to create makeup. Amen. Our aborted babies are going so that we can paint our faces like Jezebel. Our aborted babies are going into a controlling issue that says take this or lose everything you got. Our aborted babies, amen, are sacrificed children so that we can keep up with culture. And a lot of us will sit back and say, well, I've never had an abortion and I'm okay. I'm good. How many of us have living babies that we've offered the world and said, oh, they'll learn along the way. We don't do Bible studies with our children. We don't teach it. And we're raising a generation of children that will not know the Lord. Amen. You can't expect them to come to church on a Sunday morning and go out six other days dealing with the world and think Sunday's going to last. But we have that going on in the world today. He says, there, there came a generation that did not know the Lord. There came a generation that did not know the Lord, and they did evil in the sight of the Lord. I want to jump for a moment, and like I said, if you're taking notes, this is found in the book of Exodus chapter 1, verses 8 through 22. The Bible says that when the Israelites went into Egypt, there was a man named Joseph. It says that that man Joseph, how many remember who Joseph was? Let me, let, me, let me help remind for those of you that are, that are stumped up right now. Joseph was the man with the coat of many colors. Joseph was the dreamer. Joseph was the one hated by his brothers to the point that they threw him in a pit and sold him into a group of men that would take him to be slaves. And then they went on to tell their father he was dead. Joseph was the man that was set up by, Potiphar, by Potiphar's wife. And, and, and when, he, when Joseph went in there, she tried to come on to him and he wouldn't take it because he reverenced the, the, the king or the pharaoh at the time. And he was set up because the woman, when he, she couldn't get what she wants, she went and lied and said Joseph came on to her. So Joseph is the same Joseph that ended up in a prison, but he used his wits and he used his gifts, amen, and he began to interpret the dreams and he found himself in a high seat in the palace, amen, to the point that years down the road there would be a famine in his homeland and his own brothers would come from another land seeking help. And guess who was there to help them? The brother that they sold into slavery. Joseph brought in the Israelite people and they came in and they ended up residing in Egypt for a while. 
they became very strong in, in Egypt. They were leaders in Egypt. Years go by. But the Bible says in Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, Then there arose a king who knew not Joseph. Kind of familiar to the generation that did not know the Lord. Now the verb here in the Hebrew, to know, does not necessarily mean if they said that there came a generation that did not know the Lord, that doesn't necessarily mean that they've never heard of the Lord. It means they did not agree with the policies and they chose not to follow in those policies any longer. There came a generation or a king that arose that knew not Joseph. So whether he truly did not know who Joseph was by name, it is very possible he may have knew Joseph, but he did not agree with the way Egypt was being run. He did not agree with the Israelites having positions in Egypt. He did not agree with them being so strong and mighty. And the Bible even goes on in Exodus chapter 1 that says the king said, because the Israelites were multiplying. So he said we must work them and make them slaves. We must use our smarts to be their slave owners and we must make the Israelites our slaves and we are going to work them ruthlessly and we are going to work them till they're so tired that they won't have any strength because they are multiplying daily they're going to be greater than I and then there's a possibility they might join with our enemies and overtake us you see how the enemy works see the enemy has to persuade the multitude to agree the Israelites hadn't done anything wrong they were good for Egypt but this king wanted to put a policy in place. So the only way he could put a policy in place is he had to strike fear into the people's hearts. If you don't get behind this policy, these men are going to raise up. They're getting, they're multiplying. They're, there's, there's a multitude of them. They're strong. And if we don't put them in place and we don't stop their growth, then they're going to grow up. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to join up with our enemies. Then they're going to come in and they're going to kill your children in front of you. And they're going to, they're going to make you plead for your life. And they're going to rape your women and your wives and your daughters in front of you. And you're going to have to watch. And they struck fear into the lives of those people and guess what it was very easy so you know what the king did the king called two women midwives and said from here on out when an israelite woman gives birth to a young male kill him kill that little boy if it's a girl she can live but if it's a boy kill him well the midwives were had a fear of the lord more than they had a fear of the egyptian powers so they didn't do it and then the king dealt with them and said, now I want you to know something about midwives. They were very active in what they did. They didn't, it wasn't a common thing for them to have families of themselves. Some of them became midwives because they were unable to have babies. That was the closest thing they could get to having a baby is caring for another woman that could have a baby. So when the king said, why have you done this? And why didn't you, why didn't you kill these babies? The Bible says that that the, the women looked at the king, at the Pharaoh, and said, well, the, you got to understand something about the Israelite women. They're very vigorous. And when they go into labor, they push fast and hard. And before we can get there, they've already had the baby. They've already given birth. They've already, they've already birthed this child, so we can't do anything. So the king said, okay. And the Bible says, because these women chose to to take a risk and stand with the Lord. The Bible says they were blessed and they were given families. God blessed them with something that they wouldn't originally have because of their obedience. Then we go a little bit further and the Bible says that He set something in order that says that 
We're going to go out and every child, every male child, two and under, is going to be killed. What do you think the purpose of is in murdering of a generation of men? Because they knew that this Israelite people, even the king that didn't know Joseph, I guarantee you somewhere in his history books, he read and he found out these are the same people. These are the same people that God spoke to Abraham and said, I'm going to bless. These are the same people that the prophecy said they're going to live 400 years in bondage and then they're going to be set free. And we're going to cut off any act of a Messiah ever rising up out of these people. But the good news is, I didn't just come to share bad news with you this morning. I come to give you some good news. In the midst of a famine, in the midst of slavery, in the midst of bondage, in the midst of the world going crazy and insane, in these people's minds, you got to realize they didn't have television, they didn't have social media, so the only thing they knew about the world was what they were experiencing for themselves. And they were having to make bricks without straw. Amen. They were having to make bricks and build temples, and they were being beaten, and they were being whipped, and they were being all these rules were being applied to them, and they were looking at as less than people. So these people knew the world was going insane. The world's going crazy and they were crying out to God. But even in the midst of all of this, God was still multiplying His people. And I want to tell you this morning, if you don't get nothing else that I have preached this morning, if God's people will stand their ground and do what they're called to do, even when you're being pressed, even when you're being pushed to the limit, even when you feel like your choices are dwindling away, if you will hold on to the truth of God, hold on to God's unchanging hand, the Bible shows us through the Israelites that they still multiplied and they kept going. The Bible says they were telling them to throw their children into the Niles. And there was one woman that put her kid into the Nile River, but she did it a little bit differently. She put him in a basket. And he goes down and he gets raised in Pharaoh's courts. And we know this man by the name of Moses. I'm here to tell you today that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. I'm here to tell you today when the enemy comes into your life and the enemy comes in many forms. The enemy comes in one form. He comes against your mind through people. If you've been dealing with addiction, if you've been dealing with abuse, if you've been dealing with because you've been in and out of prison your whole life, whatever you're going through, you're always going to have that group of people that is available to the enemy. And he's going to begin to use them to put you down. You're never going to be anything. You're never going to change. You're always going to mess up. You're always going to make the same mistakes. Uh, we've seen this so many times. And what they do is they try to beat you down. They try to put you down to make you think that you can never change. You can never be made new. You can never be used by God. But I'm here to tell you the devil is a liar and the father of all lies. Amen. When the enemy comes in to put out your fire, God is there putting on oil to keep the fire burning. Amen. What the enemy meant to put your fire out becomes the fuel in which you burn. Amen. The very thing the enemy meant for evil, God will make it good. There's a man by the name of H.C. Trumbull. And he said this. He said, Bunyan's figure of Satan pouring water on the fire to extinguish it, and it all the while waxing brighter and hotter because the unseen Christ was pouring oil upon it, illustrates the prosperity of God's people in affliction. The more they afflicted them, the more they grew. When a fire attains certain heat and volume, to pour water upon it is only to add fuel. The water suddenly changed to its component gases, feeds instead of extinguishing the flame. So God changes the evil inflicted upon His people into an upbuilding and sanctifying power. 
What I've come to tell you today is we can go home, we can leave this sanctuary today, and we could go out with our heads hang low and say, well, I'm just going to make sure me and my four get to heaven. I'm just going to make sure that my family is taken care of. and I'm just going to do what it takes for me to get there. God's not expecting you to leave the church that way today. God's not expecting you to leave the, the church saying, well, that's just the day we live in. A new generation has come. God is expecting you to understand a new generation has come. God is expecting you to understand. Why is it important that you understand that because we've got a church that's sitting back on their hands waiting for a political person to step up in that white house and pray for us and get us free and that is never going to happen according to my scriptures you are never going to have a political leader that is going to lead you to sanctification or that's going to lead you to victory in God the only way to get your victory is through the Lord Jesus Christ you can do that in the white house you can do that in the garbage house amen it don't matter where you are God is able to do that. But you've got to understand, like my dad preached last week, how to see the things that, re that require rejoicing. We can look around us in any time, any day of the week, we can find those things that are easy to get fearful about. Everywhere you turn. You can go on Facebook right now and type in COVID. Just COVID. Post it. And everybody that sees your post is going to have a little thing under it about so they can click on and get information on the COVID vaccine. It doesn't matter. It, the, the, everywhere you turn, you can have something negative. But if you can find just one thing, if you can find just one thing to glorify and praise God about, think on these things the Bible says. A generation has come. That's not a sign for us to just give up and say, Well, Lord, come get me. I'm ready to go. No, the Bible says, Occupy until I come. He didn't say, When you see these signs, hang your head and wait for me. He says, When you see these signs, get ready. What does it mean to get ready? We all need to have the ministry of John the Baptist this morning. Become a voice crying out in the wilderness. If they don't let you preach on stage, preach in the woods, preach on the street, preach on your job, preach in your car. But preach, occupy until I come, the Bible says. I'm reading through the book of, the, the Fox's book of martyrs right now again. And I, I just recently started back in the first chapter, it's going through the disciples and their martyrdom. And the brother of Peter, Andrew, he served the Lord, he, was, he, was, he knew that death was at his front door. The Bible says that he, or, or the, the, the story of Andrew teaches us that he knew they were about to crucify him. He walked out of the door, the cell, or whatever they had him in, with guards all around him, and he could look way out and he could see the cross that he was about to die on. And it is recorded that when Andrew was walking, this is what he said. He wasn't talking to the men on his left and on his right. He wasn't talking to the crowds that were either for his death or against his death. He wasn't even praying to God, Lord, help me, deliver me in the name of Jesus. He wasn't doing any of that. But what is recorded is Andrew walking towards his cross. He looks at that cross, and this is what he says. O cross, most welcome and long looked for, with a willing mind, joyfully and desirously, I come to thee because I have always been thy lover and have coveted to embrace thee. 
You say, well, what kind of a lunatic would walk and knowing that he has a God that can open Red Seas, he's got a God that can heal the blind, cleanse the leper, raise the dead. What kind of a man would walk to his death and instead of praying for the miracle working power of God, instead he would talk to the cross that's about to bear his death? What kind of lunatic would say, oh, how I am thy lover. Oh, how I have longed to embrace you. But I've got a good sense to believe that he was remembering the words of Jesus. When Jesus said, if any man would desire to follow after me, let him deny himself, embrace his cross, and follow me. Andrew did not look at the, at the opportunity to die as being his failure, but he counted it worthy to die for Christ's sake. The Acts of the Apostles teaches us that when they were beaten in the courts, amen, that they walked out rejoicing after being whipped with rods and staves. They walked out rejoicing, saying, we counted a joy. We counted a righteous thing. We count this as a worthy thing that we was able to be beaten for Christ's sake. We live in a day where we can't even go to church for Christ's sake. We live in a day where I read something on Facebook last week, and you know if it was on Facebook, it's true. I haven't done much of anything on Facebook lately. If I do anything, it's a spiritual. I just it's it's about like the news. I'm ready for it to go. But I did read something right after the whole issue in Afghanistan and the Taliban had already taken two of the major cities in Afghanistan and they were at that time still fighting for Kabul. I seen someone had put a quote on there from the underground church in Afghanistan. Because the Taliban had already sent out word. We, have, we are in the government system. We have fingerprints. We have images. We have pictures. And we have addresses. We know who you are who helped the Americans. We know who you are that are Christian. We know who you are that are conducting church services. We will kill you. That was the message given out across the country. One of the underground churches was reported saying this to the congregants. We will meet for church. And we will most likely die. So someone took that, and I really liked it. Someone took that quote, and they made a little gif, gif, whatever you call it. And it just said at the top, it said, Afghans, we will meet for church, and we will most likely die. Americans, we will meet for church. Unless there's a birthday party, unless it starts to rain unless the wind blows too hard, unless there's something better important to do, unless I got better things on mine, unless I just don't feel like it, unless I'm just tired and weary, unless I got other things to do, then I may not be there. When one group is saying, I'm going to church and I know that I'm being hunted like an animal to be killed and there's going to be such rejoicing at my death, but praise the Lord, I'm going to meet anyway because it is that important that the gospel be preached. And then we live in the in the in the spoiled nation of America, the spoiled Western Christianity theology that says, God knows your heart. If you don't, if you don't want to be, just God knows your heart. You, you, we're not the church. Anyway. You're the church. So no matter where you go, you do. We've got this God-forsaken mindset that we serve God. 
Serving God. If any man would follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In other words, Christ wasn't saying that we'd have to be crucified, but he said you'd have to live a crucified life. In other words, there's going to be some things that you want to do, you ain't going to be able to do. There's going to be some places you want to go, you won't be able to go. Because the ministry of who you decide to follow is going to take you to greater depths and greater knowledge than you could ever imagine. But you can't get there in your own power. O cross, most welcome and long look for how I embrace thee. Andrew said on his way to be crucified, and he died that day. As I get ready to close, I want to jump back to Judges here. There came up a generation that knew not the Lord. And it goes on to say they did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they began to worship Balaam. And they began to worship Astaroth and Baal. And in this process of studying this, I couldn't help but go on a little rabbit trail and wonder what does idolatry do for a person. And this is what I found out about every, what, what I could get to, every earthly idol is it offers an immediate comfort because it touches only your flesh. Why would the generation of people that came from such the great descendants like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, why would such a great, wonderful, powerful bloodline, why would they settle to worship Baal, Balaam, Ashtaroth, and all the other things that come along with that? And what I come to understand is something that I see happening in the world today. Number one, it's what was accepted. As long as you worship what the crowds worshipped, you was not singled out and you was not ridiculed and you was not put down. As long as you, as long as you fit in, you'll never stand out. I, I want that to reside that's a, that's joy untweetable right there as long as you seek to fit in you'll never stand out have you ever known somebody as i know ain't none of you ever been somebody like this but have you ever known somebody that when they're at church they're churchy but when they're at work with the boys their language changes a little bit when they're at the bar their drinks change taste flavor a little bit and has a little different feeling afterwards. When they're at the ball games, their rage gets exposed. When no matter where they get around, their, their atmospheres keep changing their personalities. Do you know what the Bible says in the book of, I believe it's James verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9? I believe it is. It's talking about putting off sexual immorality. It's talking about putting away these evil things. It's talking about putting aside those things that separate us from God. And then it goes to talking about we're pressed, we're pushed. You're pressed down, you're pushed out, you're, you're everything, but you're never destroyed, you're never beat down, you're never too far gone because God stays the same. And then it tells us to watch out for these that promote fitting in because they are double-minded. 
And a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. A person that does not know their identity and can't walk in who they say their identity is is a person that is unstable. We will fight tooth and nail to make our points, never looking at the fact that maybe we're unstable. And that's the reason we have so many problems and so many issues. Maybe the reason that we can't, we can't decide what we're going to believe, because I'm going to go ahead and tell you something if, if you were worried what, what I believe. I'm not preaching against a vaccine. If you've, if, if you've prayed about it and you feel that to get the vaccine, listen, I don't believe you're going to hell. I don't believe you're taking the mark of the beast. I don't believe that you're giving in to the enemy. But if you are sitting there and you don't believe in taking the vaccine, you honor that. Because God, when He's ready for you, if you feel like you need to take it, let God tell you it's okay. I want to let you know I'm not here. I'm not worried about vaccination processes. I'm not, uh, I'm not worried about your political stance. I'm not worried about pressing this off on Democrats and pushing this off on a Republican or pushing this off on a political party. I'm here to get you to see the, the, the bigger picture because anytime there's something that's being promoted so great, it's not the enemy's job to draw all your attention to what he's trying to do. So if there's something being tormented over here, if we're, the whole world is worried and fighting over vaccinations and, and racism, I want to go ahead and let the, let the cat out of the hat. Over here in the shadows, there's something going on that the, that the media is not talking about. There's something, there's a deal, there's a treaty going on. Amen. Just like those 3,000 plus union workers that lost their job, amen, a day into the presidency, they, they didn't know that there was a, a, a plan and a process going on because it wasn't being publicized. And the day they signed that line on who they were going to vote for, the next day they signed their separation papers because they didn't have a job. Because they had taken a... I'm here to tell you today that the enemy is trying to distract so that he can contract. He wants to get you... He wants you to contract every evil thought he has. And he will do it through whatever means necessary. The issue that I have with the next generation not knowing the Lord is that just because we understand that doesn't fix anything. And throughout my life, I've heard many messages preached on this generation is screwing things up. This generation is messing things up. Yes, we live in a cancel culture. But just say you're right. Do you feel any more holy to know you was right? Do you feel like the world is going to become a peaceful place now that you know you was right? Absolutely not. Because regardless, the generation came with a spiritual culture. You can reach people in a spiritual, uh, demonic generation time zone and they can be converted to Christians and you're still going to deal with that spirit there. That's why you've got people that come to church and they give you a problem. They, gave, they, they put your life through hell and you, they finally leave and you're like, whew, I'm glad that... I, did I just say that out loud? There are just some people, you love to see them come, but you love it more to see them go because they're conflict. They walk in with conflict, they leave with conflict. And they're not happy just being conflict. they got to cause conflict. And they love stirring the pot. They love causing drama. Boy, they, boy, we've had drama teams in churches long before we danced with them. 
We have had drama teams for D for decades. Amen. Drama on the left. Drama on the right. Drama about what the preacher didn't do and what the preacher did do. Drama about who well wore what the church. Drama about what the, what, the, what the youth pastor said. Drama about what the children's minister said. Drama about what the, what the song leader said. Drama about who sat where and who sat in my seat and who did this. It's always been a drama. So just say you was right. It doesn't fix anything. All that tells me is we know the why. Now here's the question. What are we going to do about it? A new generation has come. Okay, we can't, we can't push a button and rewind time and start over. So what is our next step? we got to pray without ceasing. we got to start covering our children. we got to start standing up for what's right. we got to stop being a jellyback church and stand up and say, this is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to waver. I may not get invited to stand at the courthouse and give speeches. I may not be invited to go down to the, with the lawyers at once a month on the plantations and, and lead Bible study. And I'm okay with that because I don't fit in with that crowd no way. Amen. I just want to know that when it all comes down and people are broken, people are being abused, people are lost and undone and people are feel like they're on their way to hell. Do they have a sanctuary that they can get to that says, I have found the Lord. I have met a man named Jesus and he told me all I've ever done. He delivered me and restored me back to my health. As the praise team comes forth, amen, with an expedience. I just ask right now that we become the church that prays for this generation. When David was anointed king, he knew what it meant to be the king of Israel. He knew what it meant to be anointed by a man of God. And he knew that Saul had lost his flavor. His fervent power. He knew that Saul was no good for Israel. So did David go in there and do what America does? You know, there's some days I go into Bass Pro Shops and I'm like, man, I need to find something to write about so I can loot. Because I can't afford these fish finders, but I'd sure like to have one. So if I could loot, and make my public stance, then they have to let me have it because I did it for poetic justice. That was a joke, by the way. I, I don't plan on looting. But the generation that knows not the Lord is a dangerous, dangerous thing for the church. See, there's a whole lot of people that think they know the Lord until difficult times come, until difficult situations arise. There's a whole lot of people that think that they know the Lord. And that's why those will be the ones you'll never convince that things need to change. But there is a remnant, God says, of people in the last days. He said in the last days there's going to be a great falling away. And if you don't recognize that that's the day and the hour in which we are living, I'm going to have to ask you to open your eyes, my friend. One part of the earth is huddling up and getting ready to die for their church. And the other side of the world is debating on whether they're going to go today or not. 
as a pastor of Northwoods Church, as a pastor of any church, one of the hardest things you ever have to do is change what everybody else around you is, thinks is working. And I am very pleased with the four and a half years that we've had here at Northwoods Church. And I'm believing for greater years to come. But can I tell you, church, I've seen a many faces on these pews that I ain't seen in months. And I'm never going to be good enough to get every one of them back. But I'm never going to be satisfied letting them go. I've seen children come through this church that felt like they were rejected and abandoned. And to this day, I don't know where they're at. And that breaks my heart. We're living, and I know I've said this a lot because I, I want you to understand, this ain't something that's going to come. This is now. We're living in this. Idols are being set up in our churches. Yeah, we don't have a pole up here that you're going to come and kneel down beside and worship. We don't have a picture of a man up here or a statue. But you know what? And I say we as a church, not just Northwoods. We as a church. You know what we do have? We have popularity things. We follow less of the mission of our church and more about what a social preacher is putting out on Facebook. And I'm... Every preacher that goes on Facebook ain't wrong, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you some of the ones I trusted the most. God is revealing some things in some of their latest sermons that have absolutely sickened me. Because everything's about a feel good. We've got ministers that won't preach out of certain books of the Bible because they're hard. We've got people that don't want to talk about the end times because it's scary. But I'm here to tell you, would you rather hear the scary parts of the Bible that brings knowledge and wisdom on how you are to live this last hour and day than ignore it and then they be lost for eternity when that eastern sky parts and we be left? It breaks my heart. And I don't want to know, but I do wonder sometimes if I could go to my, the little children in this church and ask them, do you know what it means to die without Jesus Christ? How many of them truly understand that there is a place where the worm dieth not. There is the weeping and the wailing and the gnashing of teeth. There is an unquenching fire and an unquenchable thirst. And if you've ever slammed your finger in the door, that agonizing, almost heart-stopping pain that hurts for a moment is nothing to be compared to the eternity of a never-ending hell that gets cast into the lake of fire to forever be separated from the Lord Jesus Christ, to never have an opportunity for redemption. I've preached many funerals in my life, and whether they be for someone that is saved or someone that is unsaved, I say this in every, in every funeral that I preach. If anybody in that graveyard could get 10 minutes back on this earth, 
They're not coming back to go to your favorite restaurant. They're not coming back to go hit up that favorite fishing spot. They ain't coming back to play one more game of cars with you. They ain't coming back to sit on the front porch and just shoot the breeze one last time. They ain't coming back to go on a deer hunt in their favorite spot one more time. If, if, if our loved ones could step back on this earth for just 10 minutes, having known now, having known then what they know now, they would come and they would stand before every person they love, every enemy that hated them, every person that never got along with them, their loved ones and their enemies, and they would tell all of them the same. You do whatever it takes to make sure your name is written in the Lamb's book of life because what I know now, I would never separate myself from the love of Jesus Christ. There is an eternity that this life cannot compare to. How important is you to keep your status in the world today? How important is you to keep your identity? We've got a young man in this church, and I'm not going to say his name because that's not for me to do. But I will share this part. When he gave his heart to the Lord, he told me, he said, I gave everything I had to Satan when I lived for him. He said, and I'm going to give a little bit more to God. But this man had an identity. You could probably step in any prison down here and call his name and they'd know who he was. Because of the things he'd done. The groups he was a part of. The badges he had earned. Are you willing to sacrifice that popularity to be known as a child of God? Are you willing to realize, okay, Man, football season opens this weekend and, and I have some big plans for a football night party. So if I'll wait till after the ball game and then I'll, I'll go make it right with the Lord. What if you're not here for the ball game? I'm going to share this story with you and I'm not trying to break your heart. I need to tell you the truth this morning. I, I come in here with one purpose and one purpose alone, and that is to tell the lost person about Jesus Christ this morning. There was a young man preaching a revival in West Tennessee. On the first night of revival, Monday night, he gave an altar call, and he seen this man fighting it back there on the back pew. See, back in, see you can't do this in church today because everybody gets offended. But back then, them preachers didn't care. They loved you enough to, to let you hate them and get you the truth. And he saw that man being dealt with the Spirit. With, the Spirit was dealing with him back there. He said, you on the back pew, come here for a moment. You know, that can be embarrassing. That can you know, be put on the spotlight. That's hard to do. I remember many times sitting in church our Baptist pastor that I had was he could see stuff in you that you couldn't see. And we'd be sitting on that pew and I could look him in the eye all day long while he preached. When he, gets, he said, and we're about to close, I'd, I'd start playing with a kid. I'd start tying my shoe off. Like, oh, my shoulder hurt. Man, I just got some, got some medicine. Because I knew that if I made eye contact with him or everybody on there in the pew knew He's going to ask you to close in prayer. And I don't pray in front of people. 
That was me back then. I, I'm telling you, believe it or not, as much as I talk now, I, I, could, I couldn't talk in front of people. But this man pointed out there and he said, come here. He gets up there, he said, the Lord's dealing with you. He said, he wants to save your soul tonight. You know that man looked at that preacher, he said, I'm going to keep coming back, but I'm not ready. He came back Tuesday night and he said, I'm not ready, but man, I'm loving this. This is good. I'm coming back. Wednesday, Thursday night, same thing. He told that pastor, he's, he went to the, the, the evangelist on Thursday night. He said, tomorrow night, he said, I don't want you to call me. He said, I'm going to come up here. He said, I think tomorrow night I'll be ready. When he left church on Thursday night, he was hit by a car and killed. I don't know that man. He, he, he knew he wanted to give his heart to the Lord, so... I can't tell you that he didn't make it to heaven. I don't want to live with that burden of knowing one of my children left this earth and I didn't, I wasn't sure. I don't want to live hoping that I'm saved. I want to know that I know that I know. Do you realize you can absolutely 100% without any shadow of a doubt this morning know you are saved? The Bible says, if any man shall call upon the name of the Lord, he shall be saved. If any man should call upon the name of the Lord, believe in his heart that Christ has raised him from the dead, he shall be saved. If you call upon the name of the Lord, if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart the Lord Jesus Christ, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Because I want to be like those Israelites. Yes, we may be in a... Be, we don't know so much know it. You know, we, when we have to shut down for COVID, we feel like the church is being persecuted. But real persecution is what Afghanistan is looking like right now. Real persecution is people being drugged out into the streets. I, had a, I got a picture of an Air Force man yesterday um, sent to me by one of the guys I served with in Afghanistan. For four nights now, he's had to hold a little girl in his arms so that she would calm down and sleep. Because her family was Christians. They were drug out into the street last Tuesday. And every one of them slaughtered right there in the street. And this little four-year-old girl shot in the back of the head. And she lived. She screams in agonizing pain. And the only one that, that she'll calm down with is this Air Force man that's sitting there holding her. And the picture is her sitting there with surgical scars all over her head asleep in this man's arm persecution looks a lot worse than what we know but even in a persecuted state just like the Israelites were when Egypt had a king that didn't know Joseph the Bible says they multiplied daily they kept multiplying this isn't a time for us to say just because it's the last days, that means the church has to get smaller. Yes, there's going to come a great falling away, but we can keep multiplying. We can keep adding. We can keep working. Our, new, our next generation, we can start snatching them out of what is, what is identified on them into what God has identified them as. 
God didn't create this generation to fail. God created this generation to be led to become leaders. Amen. God didn't create this generation to not know Him. He created this generation to be led by the former generation into the love of Jesus Christ, the compassion He has for people. So as you stand all over the house this morning, I want to ask you a very important question. In the moment of a twinkling of an eye, the Bible says, we're going to be changed. That trumpet's going to sound, and in the moment, faster than you can blink your eye, the church is going to be changed into His image to be like Him. But maybe the trumpet doesn't sound this morning, but none of us are promised tomorrow. And my question for you this morning is if, God forbid, but if today's your last day on this earth and you'll never have another altar call opportunity, you'll never have what's convicting you right now convicting you again. Do you know that you know that you know that when you leave this earth, whether it be the next few moments or 20 years down the road, do you know that you know that you know that you're going to heaven? If you don't know that this morning, this is your opportunity to give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's as simple as saying, I want to be saved and believe that Jesus can save you. Believe that what He did on Calvary's cross is more than enough. Believe that His love for you is greater than the sins you once had. Believe that His grace is greater than your shortcomings or your mess-ups. So if, as, you, as we get ready to do the altar call, I'm going I'm to open up the altar call for that. If you come down and you, you want to be saved, I just want you to let me say I want to give my heart to the Lord. And I'm going to pray with you. And you're going to be saved. You're going to get saved. Not because of me praying with you, but because of that decision you made in your heart. But I also want to give you the opportunity, church, to intercede for our new generation. There was a time when God was a part of our history teachings in school. There was a part, see, there's a whole lot of people want to argue that this was never a Christian nation because we had different denominational forefathers. They wasn't perfect at all. But if you will finally, if you'll take the time and dig up the truth that you're not going to get in school and you're not going to get in your American history, you are going to find out that our forefathers come together and prayed and asked God how to create this nation that we live in today. How to create a place of freedom. How to create a place where He reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords. But I believe we are living in a time now where there has arose a king that who knew not Joseph.
the policies and procedures being put in place is costing the lives of our children, unborn children. The policies that were held to a standard of the Word of God are being pushed out. And now if you believe in the Lord and you, you live by the Word of God, you're a racist and you're a bigot. And you're a homophobe. But I'm here to tell you today, you can call me every name in the book. You can call me stupid. You can call me dumb. But like that old song says, when that trumpet sounds, you can call me gone. Because I will stand on the truth, the Word of God. I may never be a TV preacher. I may never preach crusades. I may never have 300 people in this sanctuary at one time. But I'm here to tell you today, it don't take but two or three. And Jesus is there in the midst. So if you're here this morning, and you want to help me intercede for this generation, I want to do that. I want us to pray and intercede on behalf of this generation. And then I want that prayer to continue in our lives daily. That we become sacrificial men like Andrew, like Thomas, like John. Like Matthew, like all of those martyrs that was willing to give their life for Christ. That we would just take up the simple task of bearing the cross and sacrificing daily activities to make sure God gets His time. So as they get ready to sing, I'm going to pray and I'm going to open these altars. If you want to be saved, I want you to come down. Please let me know that you're here to give your heart to the Lord because I want to pray with you. I want to pray a protection over you when you leave this place today because the enemy is going to try to come do everything he can to come steal that seed that has been sown into your heart. And it's not going to happen if you don't want it to. You are going to stand and remain saved from this day forward. So please let me know if you come to him for salvation. But I'm going to open these altars and I'm going to ask any willing vessel that, that is willing and able, will you come help me intercede? on behalf of our generation of leaders, generation of leaders in the church, generation of our culture. I mean, everything going on around us. Father God, we thank you right now in the name of Jesus. We ask God that you would move as only you can on behalf of your people, Lord, that you would strengthen us, give us wisdom and knowledge and understanding. I'm asking you right now, Father, give courage to that person right now that's fighting because they're worried about what people may say or think. But Lord, they feel led in their heart to come make an assurance, make their calling and election sure this morning, to know that they are saved. God, give them that strength and courage this morning to do so. In Jesus' name, have your way, Father.